So if you're a fan of the Episcopal calendar, you may know that we're 22 weeks into what's called ordinary time, and it's the longest season that we have uh, by far. And we've spent these 22 weeks journeying through Luke's gospel. And in a few weeks, when we open an Advent, we'll pick up with Matthew's gospel. And if you're like me, that's a little more familiar. Uh, We'll have our familiar Christmas story, we'll have the Beatitudes, we'll have the Lord's Prayer, all the stuff that we remember. So it's going to feel more familiar. And we're called to pay special attention to Scripture this week because at the Collect of the Day, what we heard uh, this morning in the liturgy. Now, as an aside, we say Collect of the Day, and that always strikes me as funny. That's a little bit of our Anglican heritage that that sticks with us because, you know, here we would say Collect of the Day. So the, the pronunciation's a little strange, but it's really beautiful what it represents. A collect is simply a prayer meant to gather the intentions of the people and the focus of the worship. Intentions of the people gathered together to create a focus of the worship. It's a clue when we hear it to what we should pay attention to every time we get together. And today's collect is one of my favorites. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. And it's amazing. Hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest Scripture. And I have to admit, that's been one of the things that I found is one of my absolute favorite activities since I began this journey to the priesthood a little over ten years ago. I find myself spending hours during the week poring over and dissecting every word of a passage, searching out its Hebrew or Greek meaning and reading commentary after commentary to really seek to understand what exactly are we reading. I admit my Bible is scored and marked and underlined, and I'm constantly trying to learn more about these scriptures. I know this makes me a bit of a nerd, but I don't think I'm alone there. I think many of us here at St. Peter's share this kind of intellectual bent Holy Scripture. It's a comfortable place for us to try to understand the world and what's behind the text and what's the world of the reading and what the world, what the reading is calling us to do. Unfortunately, I learned this week that I've been doing it wrong. Or maybe not wrong, I've been doing it incompletely. I was good at hearing, marking, and learning Scripture, but I might be falling short of inwardly digesting Scripture. The British writer Karen Armstrong just published a doorstop of a book that's titled The Lost Art of Scripture, Rescuing the Sacred Text. And she argues that, and quote, Scripture shouldn't be interpreted literally or rigidly from a pulpit or in a library. Scripture is flexible, evolving, contextual, and more like performance art than a book. We should engage with Scripture almost like a performance focusing on the bigger message it's conveying and less on the nuance of the details. And I think maybe that's what the colic means by saying inwardly digesting Scripture. It means really biting down on it, chewing it and getting it into our gut so that we might be able not to recognize it word for word, but there's no question in our hearts what it means, what it's calling us to do. And I reflected and realized How often have I read a passage or stood up here and preached it, and instead of thinking of it, what's the bigger meaning, I've been stowing it away as kind of scriptural artillery 
for the next battle over what the Bible says about something. Passages in Leviticus were stored away from my next argument about immigration and the border. What really happened in Sodom and Gomorrah for our church's stand on gay marriage? All the Gospels for my tirade against income inequality. Each week, I found myself ready to launch into a battle against those who disagreed. Now, never mind that I'll never have those battles. They're never, they never work. But in my mind, I had the full backing of modern interpretation on my side. And it felt good. But you know, even though it felt good, it might be missing the point. The point has to do with the purpose of Scripture and sacred writing in general. Now, Armstrong suggests that Scripture helps people connect to a deeper truth to enhance their humanity. What I was doing was not enhancing my humanity. That scripture is meant to elevate us, to connect us to the divine. More like a great piece of art or a great piece of music. And less like artillery for a scriptural battle. And she talks about scripture and its performance, how it's read and understood. is meant to bridge the divide between the more creative right brain and the more literal left brain. I think of it in other terms as connecting our heart and our head. And it got me to thinking that, you know, music has a way of connecting our heart and head, and is rarely ever called upon to justify an ethical position. As Mark can attest, I've been on a country music band of late and have subjected him and the rest of the house to uh, repeated plays of Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings records, the classics. And while I may appreciate the call for unity and a return to the basics called for in Waylon's song, Lukenbach, Texas, I'm never so literal to think that we shall all move to that Texas Hill Country town. I'll give you a minute to remember the song. I'm able to get the big picture, to inwardly digest it, and I don't expect it to literally guide my life or yours. Now granted, a song like that is not considered sacred writing, far from it. But what if I let my reading of Scripture keep some of the elements of fun, of performance, as I chew on what it means to me? Now, all this sounds well and good, and then we get to today's Gospel reading. We're nearing the end of Luke, and Jesus turns from last week's affirmation of resurrection to a darker warning about false prophets and persecution. And taken in the broader context of Luke, this reading sounds so different, as if pasted on as an afterthought. We're warned of wars and insurrections, of nations rising against nations, of earthquakes and natural disasters. And, you know, these conditions would speak to any age, but in our current time of permanent war, of deadly wildfires in Australia and California, of yet another school shooting, it's easy to think we're living in it right now. Hardly a call for calm, we are told we will be persecuted, betrayed by parents, relatives, and friends, even put to death. This passage is a favorite of end times, folks. But there are calls for apocalypse and the rapture. And given how those ideas have sunk into our cultural unconscious, it's hard not to hear Jesus' the end is coming warnings and worry about our own salvation. Will we be among those who gain our souls if only we endure? If scripture is, as Karen Armstrong suggests, our opportunity to encounter the divine, 
then why does this speech sound like an encounter with doom, not divine? Maybe we're reading it the wrong way. It's easy to cling to a literal or semi-literal understanding of the verse and overlook what might be the bigger purpose of Jesus' speech. We're hearing, reading, marking, and learning, but are we really inwardly digesting this reading? So what if we bite down? What if we get it into our gut? What is Jesus telling his disciples? And what's he telling us? I think a clue comes in the placement of the reading. This is the last reading that we get to before the Last Supper. In Luke, it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The beginning of the unraveling of the end of Jesus' ministry, if you will. When we get together next Sunday for Christ the King, we'll encounter a crucified Jesus on the cross just before his death. So this is really Jesus' last chance to rally the troops, to warn them of the dangers, to keep them focused on the bigger prize, to remind them and us that not a hair on our heads will perish, a reminder to endure. I ask our resident literary expert, Peggy Cromwell, what a performative understanding of the scripture might look like had it been written by someone, let's say, like Shakespeare. She barely paused and said, Henry V. And she couldn't remember the exact scene, but when I looked into it, it's the scene when Henry is rallying his undermanned troops before going to battle with the French. And it takes place on the day of the Feast of St. Crispin. And Henry tells his troops, this, is the day, this day is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when the day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispin. Then he will strip his sleeves and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. And then a little later, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he never so vile that this day shall gentle his condition. So to paraphrase, if you're injured today, you'll wear it proudly tomorrow. If you die today, you'll be the brother of the king and the envy of those who weren't at this battle. Compare this to Jesus' call. There will be wars and insurrections, earthquakes and plagues. You'll be persecuted in my name, but I'll give you words. Not a hair in your head will perish. Keep going. Endure. In that way, today's gospel can be seen as Jesus' pep talk on the eve of battle. Tomorrow's the Last Supper beginning of the end. The next time we encounter Jesus, he's on the cross. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Endure. And you will gain your soul. Now, I find it to be an ongoing process learning how to inwardly digest the scriptures, to connect the heart to the head, to seek the divine, the ineffable, the indescribable, the transcendent in words on a page. Karen Armstrong claims this transcendent is also available in poetry and music, nature and scripture. That makes me think of the Psalms. They are the original musical poetry of our faith, sung by a cantor and a people as they ascend to the temple in Jerusalem. Today we said, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. So let us practice singing our new song, the bringing together of the heart and the mind of left brain and right brain, of the present and the transcendent, as we chew upon and inwardly digest Jesus' unending call for endurance, 
unending call for salvation. Amen.